What's up, guys? Welcome back to Title Gardens. Today, I've got a special guest for you guys. This is Phil from Polyp Lab. He made the trek down from Montreal to come visit us. We're going to be talking about the backstory about how we even met, about some of the products of Polyp Lab, and I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a perspective of some of the behind the scenes on the industry side. Obviously, some of like the crazy salacious stuff we should probably avoid for the purposes of camera, but uh, there's a lot of safe yet colorful stories to share. Before we jump in, Phil, uh, I do have to tell these guys that uh, I might have slightly nearly killed you this morning. <laughs> we, went to, uh, we went to breakfast at my favorite joint, and right as we were getting finished with, with, uh, with breakfast slash brunch, uh, Phil has like an allergic reaction, I guess. Um, yeah, something like it was really scary. So to the point that, like, okay, so we're gonna go ahead to go to CVS, see about some Benadryl real fast. But just in case, why don't we have that Benadryl in the parking lot of the emergency room, just in case we have to go in? And that was about an hour before this. So, so yeah, Phil is being a real trooper for uh, recording here with us. Hopefully, I'm not gonna fall asleep and. Uh... All is going to be good, but I feel good. So the packaging of the Benadryl did say that you know there might be hallucinations involved. So this could be an incredibly colorful podcast session. Yeah, it's going to be thrilling. First, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Fantastic. We met, I think, what, two years ago, I believe. Two we were years at Reefapalooza yeah. Orlando. Yes. And this was like the first time I believe that we met in person and we didn't have any kind of like business sponsorship relationship or anything like that. This was just like a, a meet and greet sort of thing. And it was, it was a very memorable thing for me because we were at a steakhouse and, you know, like the meal is great where it's, it's whatever resort that we were staying at. And um, we got to the wine list and typically... This is like so off topic, but typically these wine lists at a steakhouse, it's a, it's hit or miss. Sometimes they just have some bottles that are like, okay, and people will just spend money on them. That's great. Occasionally there's some, there's some winners on there. And so Phil was like, well, do you see anything that's actually really good on this, on this wine list? And I looked through it and I'm, I'm not like a super wine aficionado, but I like a very specific kind of Bordeaux and I happen to see a bottle like, okay. There's really only one bottle on this list that's a winner. It is a poor value because it's getting like the the steakhouse resort markup. And I was like, there's basically one bottle. And I explained why this was like a legit bottle. And Phil was just like, let's just do it. Let's go for it. I'm like, are you sure? And at this point, I'm like, okay, maybe we should now talk about let's split this bill just so that we're all covered. But Phil picked up the whole thing. I think that bottle was $600 or something like that. So it was a monster. And I told him, if you ever visit Akron, I'll get you back. So I bought that exact same bottle. So guys, this is a, for, for, the, for the wine nutsos out there, this is a first growth. This is a Hobriant. And uh, yeah, so this guy right now is um, decanting. And so after this podcast, we will have something to partake in. That's so. going to be fantastic. <laughs> That's true, for sure. We met in Orlando two years ago, and first thing, first thing I, I, I noticed 
uh, about you was the way you dressed, right? And for like for years, bit. it's been a bit of a a, tri a trademark for for me to go to those trade show and try to dress as mo as professionally as I can, and um, that uh, show didn't make exception. And uh, yeah, I noticed you. I heard about your business and uh, your career, but it was it was a great uh, a great moment to uh, finally met you. Thank you. I mean, the the, the dressing up thing it, it is literally a hobby of mine at this point because I've kind of turned my hobby into a business. So I kind of lost the reef aquarium part of, of my <laughs> hobby set. So the men's clothing thing kind of filled that gap for me. And if there's like folks out there that have never been to like a like a coral or pet trade show, it's very casual. It's it's t-shirts, it's shorts, it's whatever. And that is perfectly acceptable, but I don't get out much. So I have to take every opportunity to dress up and go for it every single time. So th this is this is what I enjoy doing. It's uh, I would say that it's reasonably the same for for me. Um, clearly, when you work in a warehouse or in a manufacturing plant, you you don't have those those occasion to dress up and uh, actually go. Yeah, in a suit somewhere. Yeah, it's true. There's not a lot of opportunities. But let's start talking a little bit about your company, Polyp Lab. We've used your products for a really long time. By the way. Full disclosure, Polyp Lab is a sponsor of the Title Gardens YouTube channel. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. But we only mess with companies that we have a long track record with. And we've been using your products forever, probably since they first came out. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking like over a decade. So like when we first started talking like a couple of years ago at Reefapalooza, it's like, yes, we can even have this conversation because there's like a long history of us buying and using the product. So we're very comf comfy with that. Um, primarily, I wanted to talk about the, the two products that we use the most. One is Reef Primer. We recently did a, a sponsored video talking all about dipping in general and how Reef Primer like fits into that whole framework here at Tidal Gardens. And the other is about coral feeding and your product Reefroids. Mm -hmm. So we have been using Reefroids like easily over 10 years. I think that for for the most part, it, it it's considered one one of the best coral foods out there. Mm -hmm. there, there there's a handful of others, uh, you know. Pick pick your favorite, but it, it's it's in the marketplace of these um, these high nutrient powdered foods for corals. Absolutely. Um, how did that all start? Because you manufacture that yourself, right? Yes, we and and it comes. It really comes to the beginning of how it all started, right? I have three companies with my with a partner. We have Xenia North America, which is the distribution branch. We have Polyp Lab, which is a manufacturing branch. And we have a, an operation company or a real estate operation company. Xenia is the first company I started off in 2000, 2003. And in the beginning, it was really to uh, get into the dry goods and and I focused on German importation to be distributed in North America. So not to name any, but uh, Giesmann Leach Technik Germany was my first, uh, the first brand that trusted me enough to start. Uh, then Tanzi got uh, had it on uh, pretty quick. Uh, then uh, Rofos DND, uh, I got with uh, with uh, many different brands into it. I started distributing Polyp Lab uh, in the days because Polyp Lab was a company by itself, right? And um, Dave, uh, the owner, 
uh, Dave Lee that I, uh, hi Dave, how are you there? Um, Dave who was the owner of Polyplav at that time, uh, also uh, was was in uh, in um, at school for being for becoming a doctor. So uh, to make a, a long story short, he after we started distribution, he said that he would uh, get out of the business. So uh, as uh, as I had trust in this product and that I was loving the product, I bought the company. That was in two thousand ten. Um, I bought everything, uh, brand names, trade names, uh, trade secrets, whatever you can name it. And we build it out or manufacturing procedures or, or process from there. Uh, and then from 2010, uh, then 2011, we got a first or first break with Forsman and Co. Uh, research in regard of the efficiency of refroid as to grow corals. Uh, along with different other uh, products uh, that was available around. Uh, of course, we came up first. And we uh, we also had the um, the other break, which I think, I'm, I'm not sure which one is the best or what which one is not the best. It's uh, when we, we first started to be more focused on creating a time-lapse video. The start of this trend of, of doing time-lapse video about coral feeding is something if we haven't invented it you know i'm pretty sure there's people that were doing it maybe a little bit before us maybe me maybe you did it <laughs> and it's i for us for the or company was a, a, a turning point because it it was showing corals in movement mm -hmm. it was showing a movement in corals it was not as you look in aquariums okay you see the corals you know there's something happening clearly we all know they're animals and not flowers, please. And um, they go to, to a point where th the animal becomes alive, more alive than, than real, right? So th that gives us the second break. It's clear that refroid is a potent, is potent material, okay? Yes. And uh, I take a risk, guys, each and every time I go in the warehouse and at the, at the factory, I, I might have an allergic reaction like I had this morning with this uh, this fish uh, fish omelette, but yeah, after all those years, Refroid is creating uh, some some uh, some breeding. Uh, Think about that for just issue. a sec. This is yes. this is a seafood product <laughs> that Phil is manufacturing. That every single time they're making a batch, it could be this is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to. At the at the diamond for you, another at the plate. I'm going to the plate for you guys, and um, and thank you because you guys responded very well. We're we're surely the most popular brand of coral food in the world at the moment, and um, it's just it's just that there's a misconception being carried over in regard of the potential, the nutrients potential of a product, and the fact that. Uh, people see it as as a a um, a negative effect or a negative portion of it, like the 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 the, the nutrients being polluted, right? And the thing is, it's never going to pollute more than the, than the quantity you're going to put. You don't need much. Let's talk about that for just a second. Yeah. You, like you just you just said it. Yep. But a little bit goes a long way, and I know that there, you can definitely put too much in the water to throw off your entire tank's water chemistry. But 
I, I've noticed that if you feed too much directly to a single polyp mm -hmm. or something like that, you can get in a, a situation where um, it singes the coral. Like the, the coral uh, might just be, just might have like a bad reaction to it. Um, but that's not, that's commonplace for any powdered food that I've oh, seen. Oh, clear. Like even mm -hmm. like the, 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 the pellets that we used to use from, um, th those are from overseas, someplace in Europe. But... Like if you fed more than like one, one pellet, you're probably gonna have a problem. You they're, might get some burning going on in your coral. They're gonna go. It, most the reaction we've most seen is that the coral is just gonna get it out. You're right. Okay. And uh, if you, it's clear that um, that's one thing that, and I I'm gonna talk about ore product because I. Pellets, I'm never sure yeah, and, exactly what's inside. And in fairness, I think that I might be like um, conglomerating a lot of my experiences because we do use so many different yeah. products in, in our mix. Um, but I, I have to, I have to wonder also because talking about time lapse photography mm -hmm. and videography is that oftentimes for effect, we probably put more on than we would normally day-to-day -day feed Absolutely. just to sh just to get it on camera and i'm wondering if that is doing a disservice because that then it, it's it's like the the whole thing about like the toothpaste commercial like in a toothpaste commercial there's like they cover that sucker how much is enough huh and so similarly like we are putting in like literally five times more than we would normally feed a coral because we want to show the coral feeding yeah but that is not what we do on a day-to-day -day basis and it's it and it all comes to the system as well the system that you have it we sell your product to to farms a lot of coral farms uh, you, you know and your guys are professional. You have export systems that are simply out of this out of this world, right? Uh, uh, just systems that are able to take overload, like no, no, absolutely no problem. When you go to a closed circuit at home, we recommend using the product twice a week. Mm -hmm. And if you use it more, clearly, if you don't have those nutrient or in or anyone that claims that their product is has no pollutant or no nutriment, then it's not a food, right? <laughs> and um, and that's what, where we're, we're, it's getting touchy and it's getting where, what is your system? What do you have in it? What's your bio load? Yeah. How, how much do you feed? And ore product is only animal product. There's no soy, there's no wheat, there's and none, nothing veg vegetal in this. And we think that at the end of the day, you're gonna get the better value of using a product that you don't have to put that much, right? right. Yeah. Then using too much and then create an issue. Of course, if you're you're calling uh, you're calling us and you say, "Well, I dose potassium, uh, potassium in my tank or nitrate in my tank because it's not high enough." Well, put more refroid, see what it does, right? And it's nothing detrimental. If you want to do this hobby chasing numbers, it can get pretty stressy over time. Yeah, it gets less fun in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and we believe that uh, we believe that uh, negativity in regard of marketing any kind of product is counterproductive. Yeah. Always focus on your stuff, focus on your product, make sure that you bring the customers the best you can, and customers gonna reward you at the end. So let's kind of talk about the whole process of dipping and reef primer. Now, right off the bat, what is reef primer? 
Reef Primer is actually a coral conditioner, which actually will help the corals remove or get rid of the of the elements that you don't want to see on corals or around them. Uh, we're talking about flatworms. We're talking about uh, some types of parasites. Uh, we're talking about microbes you don't want to see around. Uh, where we, all sorts of of pests that. In your video, you actually demonstrate the efficiency on some corals. The main aspect of, of primer for us was A, that, to, that the product would be efficient, and B, that it would be uh, gentle on corals. And that's that's the two goals we tried to, uh, to get together uh, in order to get this product out and uh, make it easy for customers at home and, and obvious to have a dip they can rely on. And that's going to get them into a safe space to put this this uh, this coral into their own collection at home. Yeah, in that video, I talked a lot about uh, how there really isn't a perfect dip out there. Yeah. I think that's kind of an unrealistic expectation for any product or any process. And I think that the folks that expect any specific dip to take care of all of your issues and just be like, I dipped my corals, check. Right, that's not a thing, right? But the one aspect that I really focused on was how gentle it is, because one of the issues that we tend to have with um, with customers that they're not in the business of dipping corals. They're not. They're not a professional coral farm. They're not a store. Simply put, they're just the end user getting it into their tank, and they read online that you should dip your corals, and you should. The problem that you run into, though is that when you're bringing in these corals, they are stressed out. They've just been you know, shipping for like the last 24 hours, and they're at their weakest point that they're really ever going to be. And at that point, in doing the right thing of dipping, now you just killed the coral. Yeah. And from a business point, that's, that is now a DOA concern on my end, even though it's it, that coral would have been fine had they done nothing but in order to do the responsible thing in trying to do some kind of pest control they've essentially killed the patient so that was one of like the the things that really made me gravitate to your product is that of the different things that we've tried it tends to be the most gentle there's one that arguably might be the most gentle to the coral, but is highly toxic to humans. That's one of the key as well. We uh, we're into a hobby business. We we don't want to create the risk, an additional risk for for obvious and people at home. That's sure, and it's one of those many steps that that customers and and obvious needs to take to uh, actually be sure that they have an aquarium that is successful, but also to make them feel comfortable about what they do or what they can do to make it. Uh, as live as possible without creating more issues and it's more than 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 a hobby in in the fact that we 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 have dogs we've cats we have we have uh, uh, animals at home and, and we're not we're not uh, dogs obvious we're not cats obvious we're we're actually having in aquariums and those animals are pets so uh, it's uh, it's 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 important to be able to have products that keeps them safe and also give them the best chance as possible as long-time survival. Yes, absolutely. And just on the hobbyist end, it's very, it's very comforting to think that the place that you're buying from is pest-free. And I can pretty much guarantee you that's not a real thing. <laughs> Go ahead and... 
just just as a, a helpful suggestion, do not trust anybody's system. Just assume that they have it. Protect your own your own tank, please. Okay, we do a very good job with pests. We would never say everything coming out of here is 100% safe. That's ridiculous for as just as far as like a claim would go. Um, the other thing that often comes up in conversation about your product is it is a potassium salt based formulation. It's a powder, mm -hmm. and that you that you then mix in salt water, and that makes your dip. So the the word on the street is that it is merely potassium chloride, which is very very ex inexpensive, mm -hmm. and there is a there is a markup difference with reef primer versus just potassium chloride. I was talking about this with somebody that works at another very prominent, uh, very high end coral farming place as well. And he was saying, well, we use potassium chloride. It's different than reef primer. There's something else going on in reef primer. I don't I don't expect you to like oh, I can't disclose this. Otherwise uh, my, I'm I'm going to get back uh, in Canada and I have a contract on me. No, 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 I can't say anything. No, but but basically there there is something more than potassium chloride going on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I think I think that uh, the most important is about getting the raw material as pure as possible. Yeah. To make sure that you're you're not going to run into trouble. You already you have a products that's that's taking care of issues that are very important for people. First step is to start with products that are uh, uh, quality products as the purest the purest level possible. So we're using products that are always USB. Uh, lab grade. Mean? Well, it's a it's a lab grade uh, denomination for the uh, chemical, the rock chemicals we use in uh, in reef primer and also in other of our in, in other products we sell. Um, that also can explain the the margin gap that exists mm -hmm. between different dip or different product. It, it's very important to uh, to realize, and and that was it's not, it's not because not right now prices are going up everywhere. There's a premium to pay when you want to have quality, and this premium always been up uh, since decades. So sometimes we use uh, different additives to like just to, to boost calcium, alkalinity, magnesium, mm -hmm. and a lot of times that is something that you can buy in bulk from like a water softener store. Mm -hmm. However, the purity becomes more of a risk, and at some point, fairly early in the process, I don't think it is worth saving money on certain things if you're introducing trace amounts of something really bad to your system. Absolutely. And um, that that's that's an interesting point again about like uh, finding reference grade raw materials because if you just look for the price of like really really pure ethanol, it's very expensive and ethanol is Dirt cheap, typically, yeah. but there exists a bottle of ethanol out there. That's a hundred dollars, yeah. and it just depends on how pure do you need this stuff. Like, are you are you refining pharmaceuticals? It's going to be you know reference grade stuff. Yes. So yeah, I, I could see where um, the the price ladder would reflect that. And and these days when so many hobbyists are they're so persnickety about their water chemistry. They're sending ICPs out every couple of weeks and stuff like that. In in some cases, that this stuff is gonna matter. So yeah, I think that like going with like the least expensive budget option could have these other effects. That's unintended. It's it's all a question of process. 
and and in many aspects of uh, of life and 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 as well in the in our industry is uh, those the saying that you can't always get away with with chemicals because at the end of the day manufacturers just create chemicals or mixed stuff that already exists. We the discussion's been really really going around. And it's always going around, in fact, and never stops about salt. For example, well, salt oh is salt, salt, right? <laughs> and it's a, it's a touchy subject. It's, it's a, emotions boiling up when we talk about salt. It is salt, but it's not salt. There is a process. There is a, a, a way that you want to have your, part, your salt in a powder form that's going to be easy to mix. There is quantity. There is quantity of, of, of additive you want to put into your salt that needs to be well mixed. And all of these things is a question of process. Otherwise, we we will use the modern salt, like people say, and everybody would be happy. But we know it's not it's not the case, and it's not going. It's not working like this. Yeah, salt is a weird one. Uh, do you do you manufacture salt? No, absolutely no. not. You don't. I don't know what it is about salt specifically, but she, but in this industry, there's a lot of like a tribal mindset when it comes to salt. There's like salt wars. Yeah, and. Again, kind of like peeling back the the veil a little bit on the business side of things. Salt is an incredibly low margin product. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not a lot of money to, to be made on salt. I I think that the expectation is they're going to make their money on other products in their suite after they've identified like a a salt brand that they're comfortable with. So, for example, if they if they love Fritz salt, they might buy f something else from Fritz. Yeah. If they like a Julian Sprung's Two Little Fishies product, mm -hmm. they might be like, I'm going to buy all, you know, I'm going to buy the accuracy salt. I'm going to buy such and such. I'm blanking on all of his million products. <laughs> but uh, so maybe, the, maybe that, that kind of explains it. But like people really do get get heated about salt discussions, like Tropic Marine and just uh, any of these brands. The ND, uh, uh Solution Salt as well, the Pro Salt, the Pro Milk, Red Sea, we can, we can name a million dozens brands. of them and hundreds. And it's, um, again, and, and you have the process of manufacturing your product, your, the product, and you have this other part of the process, which is to bring the product down to the customers. Uh, transport costs, logistics, Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing how much money you have to carry on when weight comes into play. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're lucky with our dip. It's not, it's not that big of a of a container, right? But uh, when you're talking about a a fifty a fifty pounds uh, bucket of salt to move this around, big part of the cost is right here. Exchange rate risk, right? Because salt, uh, there's some that are made in uh, um, that are made in in China. Some are made in America. Some are made in Germany. Some some are made well in in Moyen-Orient in French. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, English is not my first language. I'm sorry, Tan. But um, in the Mediterranean area, mm -hmm. uh, Basin, and um, uh, you don't bring this by UPS from there. Right. It's a container. Exactly. It's by seats. Come here. You have to unstuff. You have to warehouse it. It needs to leave from your place, most likely on a skid. You hope so, right? And um, it's getting and it's getting more and more challenging as as we go uh, over the chain and over the years. That kind of segues into another topic uh, that I wanted to, to talk about with you, and it's the just the business of dry goods because we don't really carry dry goods. A long time ago, we dabbled in it for a little while and we just stopped. 
Uh, you never really dabbled a lot with livestock, but you've been primarily focused on on dry goods because previous to Polyp Lab, you had another company. You still might have another company that uh, that distributes other brands uh, of equipment and materials. And there's always aspects to this business that are just complicated. They just that just complicates business. It would it seems so easy for on my end. It sounds just to get coral, sell coral. But there's a lot of granularity in, mm. in that whole business process. And similarly with with uh, selling dry goods, there's just stuff that happens. Um, I don't expect you to like uncover all the all the skeletons. <laughs> no. But I, I, was, I was shocked just by hearing like just some of the stories about because typically, what you sell to stores, yeah. not to end users. We don't sell to end users. We we do have an operation or or website poliplab.com that sells directly to end users. But we 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 would like or we we really like the relationship we have with with um, the stores, the retailers, mm -hmm. in regard of the relation they have with our product, the way they use it, and the way they can reference it to their own customers for them to buy it. Um, we need everybody needs to be in a win-win situation out there. Uh, most importantly, the end user, the customers, um, and uh, that might be something that that in the balance of business today is hard to achieve. But uh, uh, if we are in the in in a situation where we need to believe, uh, we believe in each other, business-wise, we be, we have to believe in the manufacturer, we have to believe into the distribution channel. And of course, we have to believe in our dealers and our retailers to be able to do that job, be happy about doing that job, giving an efficient uh, return for their customers, and also make a living. Yeah. Is that belief well-placed sometimes? So <laughs> the, the, this hobby attracts some colorful folks. Oh, yeah. And so I, I see it sometimes on the consumer end. I'm like, OK. This person's interesting to have to deal with, but when they when they start making businesses, that's when they get the extra colorful people sometimes, <laughs> and and some of the things that like I, I was talking to um, a livestock wholesaler, and he was like saying like Than, one third of every shipment of livestock that I sell out of here, one third of it does not get delivered properly because the business owner did not open their doors. Unfortunately, it's a common, it's a common uh, occurrence. That sounds bonkers to yeah. me. Yeah. Like, and what do you mean the store's not open? Yeah, the store's not open in, uh, and, and you can, again, there's something you can name hundreds of situations. The, the box has been left at the door. Somebody left it, uh, left it there. Another one took it. Uh, it, it came in damage. And uh, customer service uh, at, at this point with either UPS, FedEx, whatever the courier company is, um, are not are not. I'll say they're too busy to take care of you these nowadays. So um, too many too many of these these occurrences makes the cost going high as well. Mm -hmm. Makes makes product cost more money, but you need to find solution. Whether it's going to be packing them properly, putting terms of business that are more strict, adding a signature to the reception, uh, and and which wouldn't help if the store's not open. No, it wouldn't help if the store's not open, and it, it's it's never either. Even at the end user side, uh, more and more we're coming with deliveries that are time sensitive, 
and you can have the deliveries by appointment, but that costs more money. Yeah. Uh, there's a solution for everything, but uh, there, you know, there's always two solutions to one problem, <laughs> and but money is always in the mix. Yeah. I guess also speaking of of the money side. So when when I did dabble with dry goods, so I'm still selling to the end user, and this is a a, a weird situation because on the livestock end of the spectrum, we might have like one chargeback a year, uh, as far oh, as like a credit like a credit card chargeback. That's great. Um, and you know, oftentimes, sure, it's it's just a situation of credit card fraud. These things happen. I just have to like mentally block it out mm. and just bury it in volume and just not have to worry about it. Um, but when I did dabble in the dry goods world, there's so much fraud that happens with credit card fraud. It, it, it's crazy. Now, you probably don't see that as much from the wholesale end just because you don't deal with end users and random credit cards. No, 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 no. But I, I this is something that I learned is that there's plenty of like businesses that just simply don't pay their bills. Yeah, they live uh, uh, in 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 the same world as we do, right? And uh, you you uh, we don't make we don't make uh, credit or ask credit reports from the people we're dealing yeah. with. But... And obviously, no names. But no, like, no. These these stories, like when when uh, you start to like get more into the into the business side yeah. of things rather than just the hobby side, it's like it's very eye opening. It's like. So and so doesn't pay their bills. So and so doesn't, and everybody is still like cordial and it's, they're it's, friendly, like in 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 public at these trade shows and stuff like that. I'm like, how are they all even talking <laughs> in the same room? There's a five figure deficit going on uh, in that interaction. How are they not fist fighting? And sometimes they do fist fight, but I'm, I'm, it's not to be seen, right? We yeah. <laughs> Trust that these these are our stories, but it doesn't happen often. But if there is there is a situation where there could be a lot of tension, uh, but um, th this industry is small. At the end of the day, we're not very small. Very small. We're we're very niche. Uh, uh, we can say we know pretty much everybody that gravitate around it. Again, there's like there's like a, a wild west aspect to this niche industry. And I, I, maybe maybe I'm just the one that's naive. Like maybe this is normal business to business thing where there's just like crazy stuff that just happens in every industry. But that did kind of take me a, for just as a surprise because there's been many um, like after event dinners. Yeah. That I've I've been a part of. Everybody has like a great time. It seems like everybody's like you know longtime friends and stuff like that. And then like a week later, I hear a story about like oh yeah, so and so at the table was trying to get this other person at the table kicked <laughs> out of a conference over some beef. And I'm like, we were just hanging out. Yeah. yeah. Like, not yeah. no problems whatsoever. And then sometimes like so these these stories bubble up. I'm like. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the way we see. I mean, uh, personally, uh, my first Magna Boston, Magna Boston. Uh, we, I had. There's. It needs to be fun. You know, we need to have fun in this business. And um, I remember there. I met. This is where I met David Saxby for the first time, and I met Stuart Petram, Doug Thompson with Deltec USA at that time. And just a short story here. I. It was my first Magna show. I was trying to help at the booth at Deltec. 
and there were this huge AP1006. I don't know if you ever seen or remember it, but with all those those EI pumps around it, a monster, a beast. And Germans are are packing their stuff like it's called. They they do the good thing. It it traveled all over the place to, uh, by air to Boston. It was the main piece of the boot, and uh, I get the task of unpacking it. So clearly, I take a drill, get get the screw out of the wooden box and whatnot. Take the skimmer to get it out of his box and crack. The bottom skimmer's totally crashed and got destroyed. Why? Because I forgot to remove the screw oh, at no. the bottom of the wooden box. So we had a, a, a destroyed acrylic part, the main part. And I remember Doug was so, it was nice and it was okay. There's nothing you can do. David was livid. Uh, and, but it was a mistake, right? And, but, but it came to be, it came to be funny, um, 90 years later, no, <laughs> a couple of months later, it was, it was a funny story. Did you, did you buy a $10,000 skimmer that day? No, no, we find, uh, we, we find a way to, uh, to, uh, uh, trim off and make a custom version, of course. Okay. And, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, yeah, that was the first, uh, my first Mac, not 2008. That's a that's a that's a very nice introduction <laughs> into the trade show world. Oh God! There's there's some crazy just trade show related logistics. Like so, I people always ask like, am I going to be an exhibitor at a trade show at any given trade show? And the answer has been no since about 2014. Mm. It's so so much work. It's so much stress. And as like a, a coral vendor at a big trade show, there's like there is the chance that you just don't make any money. In my case, I think I lost like five thousand dollars that day or something like that that weekend. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, I think I'm retired from this whole scene. There's like a lot of stories from the road about just how difficult it is to set up every single show. It seems uh, I believe one of the shows because this happens every show, but somebody's booth doesn't show up. Uh, it happened to me. Uh, somebody and and more than more than once, uh, and um, and uh, you 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 shipped your stuff express, right? Uh, your show your show items and uh, they don't show up, or you have to go pick them up an hour away driving. Uh, your 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 TV is getting broken, so you go to Best Buy to buy one, and uh, then after two days, it's no good anymore. You bring it back. No, it's a joke. But uh, I don't think it's a joke. I think people do that. There's probably people doing it, but it's like selling salt uh, at the end of the day. You go to a show, but it's really to sell something and make profit later on. Some people make money. It, it needs it needs to be profitable for people. Uh, if I talk only for me as Polyp Lab, it's an expense, but we we feel it's important to show up and uh, to get those to have those interaction with uh, with customers. But most of our interaction are with uh, with the industry people over there. Yeah, that that is kind of the the aspect of it that I enjoy, and uh, I, I think it, it's because I was I was away from trade shows for like a good solid eight years, and I had to be dragged kicking and screaming back into that just to attend. Like I wasn't even going to them, but. Um, once I did, I was like, you know what? This is really nice. There is a benefit to having some face-to-face -face interactions because, um, again, naming no names, but 
I always kind of assumed that because we were a very visible YouTube channel that, you know, people would just know me through that and that was good enough. But this industry was like very slow to catch on to to YouTube and to any and all social media, like really yeah. slow. Yeah. So there was a lot of folks that um, that when I initially met them, they just had no clue who the heck I was. And it's not me being like stroking my own ego or anything like that. But when they finally did find out, that changed everything. For the better. And I would I would add that this is uh, f for sure for Polyplab a turning point uh, in the way we have been able starting 2015, 2016 to uh, get get into uh, the, the social media aspect of that. Yeah, hobby. this is definitely something I wanted to talk to you about yeah. because... Um, again, the, this uptake into the industry was very, very slow. It's still slow. We're, we're still not close to there yet. Not even close. But Polypub was, was one of the first brands that I noticed that was really active in getting out there and supporting a lot of creators, big and small. Like, a, yeah. like the number of small creators like on Instagram and whatnot that would be um, – showcasing your product. It's like they're making a very concerted effort to go for this market. Like that was that was pretty groundbreaking in my opinion. But please like tell me more about your experiences with that. Like how is that working out for you? Like what what is it that you're even looking for? To be be an influencer, an influencer on on social media and and I guess in regard of any topics, what you're going to create as a value at you know, there is a value to what is being created. The value is going to go in, in a direction where as more authentic the video is, as more detached, detached from a product you are, mm -hmm. as, as, as more of a, a critic you are to be seen as an influencer, as much what you're going to say is going to have, a, it's going to have value. Um, I think that the way that we, we worked with this is we uh, offered our products to many different people. Uh, had aquariums, uh, farms, places. We've been lucky to have uh, uh, also material that can that was showing that it was already a good product, you know. And um, we offered it to, of course, farms, uh, aquariums, public aquariums, uh, uh, very influential people in the industry uh, at that time. But we also wanted to get on with people that are everyday user guys that are there, they have a tank, they love it, they use the products, they are eager to talk about it, they are eager to put more energy in, in and to show what they have achieved and what they have accomplished. And uh, I think it's it's in regard of that process that we decided to uh, to create a more um, uh, a more tight a more tied up community um, and, and it's important because, this this feeling of community, and I'm and I'm and I'm having a, a reference to the Reef Pro we had, the Reef Pro programs we had, in which uh, we had five or six people that were working with us, doing creating some content, and we were simply helping them uh, to get the words around. We didn't give any script. We didn't ask them to do uh, very uh, specific stuff. Do what you feel. Do what you like to do, and they did. Sometimes it's not without risk, right? For sure, yes. And the the risk is 
um, you you can start with people, but it it doesn't work, right? And going to the extremes of of just explaining yourself or gluing what's broken never works in any kind of situation in life. So you have to be smart enough and 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 adult enough on both sides to say, okay, let's just stop it and uh, let's go for another project. Let's do something else. Mm -hmm. And we discussed this already. You don't want to get into a situation where you're tied up. I think it's a position that can uh, reduce the value of what you're trying to send as a message. One of the, uh, I guess, major currencies in content creation and influencing is authenticity. And I think <laughs> that it is really, it's in very short supply. It's one of those things where you can go from a trusted resource to a corporate shill really quickly. Yeah. And um, it's, it's as on the creator side, you never, at least I personally, never want to diminish my voice for money because that's, that's almost never going to be like a great trade-off, especially in this industry. Yeah. And like I, so I'm, I was always like very protective of that voice. So there's, I, I get requests daily to promote some random thing that I've never used before. And I don't mess with it. So again, working with you, kind of not a hard decision on my part because we've all, we already use and purchased your product. Yeah. Um, by the way, that does kind of bring me to another aspect. I think that, uh, especially this happens, I think, in smaller influencers, is uh, they they want to get free product. Mm. And um, I think that some, they, they fall into this pit, this this trap where when they're receiving free product they they wear it like as a as a badge of honor where it's like i don't have to pay for stuff anymore i've made it to that point and that is actually not a place where you want to be it is one of the situation where it can reduce your value as the message bearer yeah yeah and, and obviously that that sounds like oh well you know must be nice to be able to buy anything you like but as a creator that's done this <laughs> i promise you guys it is not the flex that you think it is and you are so much better off having already purchased or are willing to purchase whatever it is simply because the autonomy that that gives you over that interaction is so incredibly powerful because for instance um if if i had purchased your product i am under no obligation to say anything nice about it absolutely like nothing yeah. it's like if i don't like reef primer guess what i didn't get any of it for free. It was my complete, independent, autonomous right to say whatever the heck I want. Exactly. And that is an incredibly liberating thing. I think that once once uh, creators kind of get suffocated by by that, is when they kind of like run into some issues about losing that authenticity that's so valuable. In, in all due respect, you don't want to become a a a mascot or a, a sandwich a sandwich man yeah uh, and and there's people 
And it's great when they they say, when it's announced, I work with this company. Mm -hmm. I'm with them. I use their product. It's here. And that's fine. That's fine. But there's always a choice to make uh, uh, when you're going to social media. Or you're, you can become a professional for a company, and it's fine. You're going to be this professional for a company. Uh, but if you really want to be a, a critic and you want to be independent, you, you need to, to take your side. Looking at it from the other end of the spectrum, looking at it not, not so much from the creator side, but from, um, from the brand side, there's a lot of other things that has to go into that calculus too. Because oftentimes you haven't met this person before. No. Not in person. No. You're really only familiar with um, with their following or the mm -hmm. size of their following, and I think that really brings up like two major issues that I that maybe there's many more, but I, I see two major issues. One is the idea that like how valuable is the following really, because they're they might have a gigantic following, but that might not be the following that you're after. No. Like some some of these some of these um, these channels are gigantic, but I have a feeling that those aren't your customers. They they'll never be your customers. A sale is not a sale if the money is not in the bank. You know mm -hmm. what what are you able to close out of the click you get, right. out of the exposure you get, out of the traffic you get. And that is very difficult to to parse. I mean, I th I know that there's there's a lot of like analytics that can kind of like dig into that better. But sometimes it's not, it's kind of amorphous. It's, it's very difficult to quantify that effect. But sometimes it's like, I can tell that your audience is under the age of six. And <laughs> yeah, they no, don't have absolutely. credit cards. And, but the, the, um, the sample being in this, in this industry as being a small industry makes it difficult to, to, to have any kind of trends or mm -hmm. sales tendency. If, you, if you're in the shoe business uh, or if you're in the food industries, extremely competitive. You can bang on on those results and on some statistic or analytics because everybody needs to heat. Everybody needs uh, customers. There's all people needs to heat. Well, in your business, the, the sample is so small that you cannot get into trends. So sometimes you're going to have a gut feeling. Sometimes you're going to say, okay, they, it's not much followers or, but the effort that's put, that's put into the image that is put into creating something interesting, creating something fun, um, makes it worth it to uh, ask those people if they, they, they want to do some, some things for us. Even at, at that point where we are at at the moment, we receive uh, content from people using Polyplab and their tags. And, and we just, we just uh, acknowledge their existence, help them to push them on our network. And I think it's the greatest relationship you can have to have those people, those customers that are, are working with you on many different levels. They help us, we help them. Mm -hmm. It's a win-win situation. And that's that's how we want to be in position. Uh, it's it's, it's where that position we want to be in. Um, and and kind of not to uh, <laughs> throw like a storm cloud on that, on that positive yes. viewpoint, but there's the other risk is that Going back to the the idea that like we haven't met before. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes like, and it, it's sometimes these things just don't work out, and the the influencer is just problematic 
Like, it, it becomes it, a problem. Yeah, yeah. it's you, you just never can tell. It's like this is just somebody that developed a following and for for whatever reason it's like, "Oh, I can't do this with you anymore." Cuz it turns out like, "No, absolutely not." It it <laughs> like, becomes we have an issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. There there's we might have been uh lucky uh, lucky in that situation where there's there's still a screening being done, right? Mm -hmm. But that screening's not being done at the beginning, right? Over time, you you uh, you make you make experience or you experience uh, working with some people, uh, and and then you go like, oh, okay, that's not the way I was expecting it because this is the worst thing working with human resources is you don't you don't always uh, know what to expect, and and it's human nature, it's fine, it's okay, but. If you really, really look at the specific of it, um, you get a look at, at all around the microcosm of that person, um, and and I think it's it's getting more and more difficult these days to uh, to find people that are really committed only to one point of, of of the influencing business they're doing, without getting caught into this this wind or this hurricane of getting followers because that's what they want mm -hmm. getting more views getting more clicks and and being able to uh to, to live uh, from that um, from that um that work right yeah but it i don't know i well i know but uh n not as you probably know that it takes a lot of work to it's get a into a hundred thousands youtube followers it's it's a lot of work. I think there's only been like what four in the saltwater world that's done it. Yeah. I think it's Balkree Supply, <laughs> it's Reef Builders. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. And it is Danny's Aquariums. Yeah, it is. And let me go back to what we discussed early on about livestock and dry goods. I'm in dry goods because livestock is not my thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be in livestock because it's your thing, but it doesn't. It, it, you need to to focus on what you're good at, and um, that lesson, uh, that lesson I learned it as, uh, over time, sure. But we we needed to focus on what we're good at, and um, to to stay authentic, have quality product. But you you need to keep that. It's easy. There's a saying, uh, and I'm going to make a free translation from uh, from French to English. It's very very hard to get your reputation up but it takes seconds to get it to, to yes, have it down absolutely yeah that i'm sure you can say it better in english than me <laughs> no you did, you did pretty good you did pretty good, good. <laughs> oh god so guys thanks so much for uh for phil to join us i'm so glad that you are so far surviving your trip to title gardens it seems <laughs> like it's 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 an accomplishment these days well thank you for benadryl Love Benadryl, <laughs> by the way. Hey, that's a spot. So hopefully, like you've enjoyed your hallucinations and, <laughs> and this fever dream of a podcast. And uh, all right, guys, I will uh, see you all next time. Take care. Uh oh, I'm blanking. Uh, da Danny's something's aquariums. Yes. Uh, I, Is it Danny's aquariums? Not Danny's aquarium. Oh man, I'm, oh, I'm that's blanking. Bad. Oh, he's Becca. Hmm. Who's a, it's like a, who's that other YouTuber? Danny's Aquariums. It's Danny's Aquariums. No, you have. It's you, Danny's you, Aquariums. Yeah, there it is. There it is. We will we will edit that up.